Hello, everyone. This is the 20th episode of the Going Over Big Time podcast. I am definitely sure it is the 20th episode as I, it check- it, as I am checking the feed now. And yes, it is. It, it is. And what a way to uh, commence our 20th ep- uh, episode by talking about Forbidden Door from AEW and New Japan, which took place just a few a week or so ago in um, the, the uh, Air Canada Center at Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, and man, so I had the distinct privilege of being in attendance in person uh, for that show. Um, and uh, actually, yeah, the Air Canada Center, also known now, actually now known as the Scotia Bank Arena. The attendance was, you know, a pro- almost 15,000 people were there. Uh, just a little uh, caveat for me. Uh, I was told the doors would open at six p.m. Pre-show was to start at seven. By five five o'clock, I think people were already lining up and filling spilling over out into not outside the arena and into the uh, the uh, basically the train station that was connected to the to the stadium. So uh, people were ready. People were ready, and. Um, and uh, yeah, Mike, what did you think of the show? Obviously, watching from uh, on on pay per view. I mean, I was there, so I didn't hear any mm-hmm. of the commentary. I didn't hear any um, comments. I just purely watched through the lens of just enjoying the matches, and obviously, mm-hmm. the obvious things that stuck out, which we will talk about later. Uh, yeah. But suffice it to say, very well attended. I I think when we when me and my friends sat down, we got in a bit early, so it looked a bit empty. But by the time it was starting, it was just the place was packed. Um, other than one match in which, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of the uh, attendees decided it was time for the bathroom break. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, people were just glued to their seats, and then the final match where we had the uh, shocking ending. And uh, great send off, great send off. So let's get right into it. Actually, there are actually fourteen matches on this card, even though officially you, as if you watched from afar, may have only seen thirteen. Yes, I heard about the match that we did not see. Yeah, on, te- uh, on television. So right. Adam Cole was supposed to take on Tom Lawler. This had been set up on the previous Rampage only two days prior. And um, he uh, apparently had flu-like symptoms and they did not feel comfortable clearing him to wrestle. Um, So he ended up having a dark match for Arena Eyes only against Serpentico. Yeah, Tom Lawler versus Serpentico. Um, no question who won. It was only a four-minute match. Uh, Tom Lawler put away Serpentico quite quickly. In fact, uh, I don't think I was even. Uh, I think I was lining up for pizza during that time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so never mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is just the unfortunate reality these days. If someone comes down with the flu now, for just overabundance of caution. Stuff's gonna get rewritten on the last second, and uh, because you know, we just can't really risk someone's health over just the trying to entertain people, that's just the reality. Yeah, um, let's look into the uh, the pre show matches. There were four of them within the uh, zero hour from seven to eight, yeah, and a lot of them just were kind of just like there, 
It was yeah. like there was no like build to any of these. There was no like pomp or circumstance to any of them. Right. I mean, uh, not not that I didn't enjoy them. It was your no, not that they weren't good matches. Reason only your 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 typical reason or, or the main reason I think it was just to put like a sort of a New Japan versus AEW thing on it. Other than the only thing that did sort of have a continuity was Athena taking on Billy Stark. Oh yeah. That was the only match. Yes, I, I forgot that as was part the of the women's Owens Hart Owen Hart Cup tournament. Uh one of the first round matches. Uh, yeah, so the what was the first match of the pre show? Uh the Mogul Embassy, Swerve, Brian Cage, uh Toa and Khan uh taking on Chaos, Rocky Romero, Chuck Taylor, and Trent Beretta, joined by El Desperado of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So mm-hmm. uh only thing I, the the two things I remembered out of this spot was the best friends doing their signature hug in the middle of the ring and Desperado being caught in the middle, not really sure what the heck is going on. And yeah. I thought Desperado did some very innovative moves where he basically used the Mogul embassy on each other. Basically, he uh basically used like one guy to hit a DDT on another guy instead of just him and then like him maybe drop kicking somebody into some other person, like, and then basically using mogul embassy against each other in in one quick spot because this is a very fast paced match. Yeah. So, but um, in the end, it was mogul embassy coming out on the top with uh, I think Swerve picking up picking up the pinfall. So no, nothing much there. Yeah, there wasn't a lot to this match. It was a lot of. Uh... I mean, the majority of this match was we need to get Swerve's guys a win. Mm. Uh, Because if they're not teaming with Swerve, they're not winning. Um, The other guys have been losing a lot, which is very weird, considering that this group was meant to be very um, taken seriously. And um, obviously, Swerve needed an upgrade from his previous uh, henchmen because those guys were not good at wrestling. Well, uh, he won't have to worry about <laughs> one of them so far as uh, recently it was announced uh, the Tattoo the Trench was released from a yeah. Uh, that, uh, Parker that Bordeaux could... is still there. Um, Boudreaux, yeah, he's Boudreaux, sorry, he's he's still there. Um, but as far as we know, I don't think he'll be a part of that act anymore. At least I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so this was this match was fine. El Desperado kind of didn't care too much about the best friend's antics. Um, because he doesn't really have a history with these guys. Uh, for people, I guess, who don't know. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably do know. But El Desperado uh, is a former member of Suzuki Goon. And the best friends are currently still part of Chaos. So El Desperado never really had any, like, link 
to these guys other than probably fighting them at some point. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I just think they just wanted to bring in a uh, good worker from New Japan and El Desperado fit that bill. Uh, subsequently, after this, he had a, uh, I think he had some kind of like death match with John Moxley. Well, yes. Um, so time of recording, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, it's been uh, a week and a half. We're yeah. recording. We're recording this on July sixth, um, and on July fourth and fifth was the New Japan Strong Independence Day shows, and uh, on those shows, uh, El Desperado had two death matches. One was the tag match on night one where he teamed with June Kasai, who is a deathmatch legend. And um, they took on the team of John Moxley and Homicide. Uh, and then on night two, John Moxley and El Desperado had a singles match, also a deathmatch. So two deathmatches in a span of 24 hours. Uh, and they were both great. I watched both nights of the show. Um, and yeah, I um, it was just weird that this is what El Desperado is doing, and that they that the best friends didn't team with somebody else from Chaos. Right. Uh, uh, there were uh, there still, as I understand it, a lot of other people that would. Well, yeah, and the tag team champions were not on the show. Which was very weird. Um, yeah, no tag team title presence at all. No Bullet Club ref, uh, presence at all. Which is that was also very surprising, considering yeah. I expected like some kind of answer. I mean, when we when we tried to predict the card, I expected some kind of answer from Jay White over the yeah the if there was uh, any Dave, kind David of, Finley stuff. Yeah, if there was any like time or show to make some kind of like play on that um storyline if you will it was at forbidden door i mean uh, just back to the topic hand they could have brought in toru yano as their partner for, for chaos yeah, there, there that would have been way of... more in- that would have been way more interesting <laughs> toru yano looking across at brian cage and like no no thank you no thank you <laughs> i mean that would have made a lot of sense especially putting him with best friends um but uh, yeah, and I mean, because there's there was a there's a bunch of members that they could have used. I'm, obviously, I don't know the I don't know the schedules of all the other members, but Toroyano is one of them. Um, they could have used Yo because he wasn't on this show; he was on a rampage. Um, they they could have used Yoshihashi. They could have used Haruki Goto who, again, are the tag champs, but didn't have a match. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was just really odd that El Desperado was kind of just thrown in here. Uh, but, yeah, it was a fun match for what it was, and the hug spot made me laugh. Uh, I watched this in a movie theater. Mm. Um, this is the and second. And how was the atmosphere in the movie theater? Because I remember doing those. And people are just as uh, loud and uh well yeah it, it, it's as... not like it's not like when you go to the movies to see an actual movie people actually are talking the whole time and 
screaming at the screen, which is stupid but funny. Um, but yeah, uh, I this is the second year in a row that I saw Forbidden Door in a movie theater. At this point, it's basically a tradition for me now, unless they bring it to New York and I'm gonna go. But um, yeah, I I enjoyed the atmosphere of watching it in a movie theater. Yep. Okay, so uh, Mogul Embassy picked up the win over Chaos. The next match is Athena, the Ring of Honor Women's World Champion, defeating Billy Starks in the first round match of the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Um, not surprising. I mean, Billy Starks is, you could say she's a prodigy. She's only 18. Yeah. Um, formerly competed She's competed all over places in places like GCW, MLW, obviously Ring of Honor. Um, yep. I wasn't shocked that Athena won this. I mean, it's hard to like put over Billy when it wouldn't make sense, given that Athena is on this like monster run as Ring of Honor yes. Women's World Champion, and we know eventually this was. I, I guess that when it, when I when it, when they showed the brackets, this was going to lead to a. Face off with Willow Nightingale because so, could... so I wouldn't have been too surprised if Billy won mainly because this isn't for the title hmm. and um they could use that to set up a title match down the line because again time of recording there is an ROH pay per view in two weeks um so they could have did some kind of story like with that. But based on the seeding of the tournament, I think we know who's going to beat Athena in this tournament. Mm. Um, and that's Willow Nightingale. Um, so I would not have been surprised if they would have given this one to Billy. But this was a, another fun match, a lot of back and forth. Um, Athena was in control early on and working on the back like the whole time. Um, and yeah, uh, there was a lot of hope spot. There was a couple of hope spots for Billy in this match, but ultimately, uh, Athena got the win. And uh, big things I'm sure are in store for Billy Starks down the line. Considering that she just graduated high school, uh, and probably is just gonna do wrestling full time. <laughs> the um, let's see. The next match we have is um, I mean we weren't really expecting it, but it's just it was a good match nonetheless. Uh, Stu Grayson from the, well he's he's not on Ring of Honor he's, with he's with uh, kind of with. The kind of with uh the the what do they call themselves Vincent and Dutch the righteous, righteous, the righteous uh facing off against uh El Fantasmo from New Japan uh no longer with the Bullet Club he was recently expelled from the faction yes uh El Fantasmo of course is a native Canadian from Vancouver mm-hmm. British Columbia um at well and she Stu is also from Canada he's a Montreal he's a Montreal area. That's probably well, why they had this match. Probably <laughs> they needed a completely Canadian filled yes. uh, match. So uh, this is a good match. I no, no complaints there. Uh, El Fantasmo uh, got the win. 
Yeah, uh, I don't think Stu needed this win. Obviously, they're building up something with him and the Righteous against the Dark Order on ROH TV, if you watch ROH TV weekly. I don't get the chance to catch it every single week, but um, I, I like this group. Um, I've, I've always liked all these guys. And um, yeah, I, I think that it was it was easy easier call for Phantasmo to get the win, uh, for him to show off his athleticism. We, I mean, and against somebody like Stu, who is just as athletic, one of I think one of the most underrated wrestlers on the entire AEW roster, and and it was cool to see him get an opportunity to show that here. Um. But yeah, El Phantasmo gets the win. Um and it was definitely a fun match. And the final match in the pre-show is uh a trios match. The uh team of United Empire of Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and TJP taking on uh from New Japan for New Japan. Uh, Los Ingobernables de Gabon of a team of uh, Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, and Shingo Takagi. Takagi last year uh, uh, teamed up in the last year's Forbidden Door, teamed up with Sting and Darby Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this year he uh, been put on the pre-show because they got the leader of LIJ to yeah. be one of the main matches. So. Uh, Nah, not much to say about this match, I don't think. Um, no, I mean, this was kind of a New Japan yeah. throw-together throw match. I mean, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis now work for AEW. So, technically, uh, Kyle Fletcher was the only AEW person in yes, this match. Yes, yes, I, I was about to bring um, up that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's still, he's. I think he's always going to be affiliated with United Kingdom, and I'm sure he's going to continue to work New Japan strong once Mark Davis is back, um, as well as AEW. But um, yeah, this match was fine. Everybody got to showcase their abilities. You know, Bushi always doing something with his high flying. Um uh, Takahashi being super charismatic and one of the best talents in New Japan. I really want him to move up to heavyweights. Uh, he he's done everything as a junior heavyweight at this point and doesn't need to continue to be a junior heavyweight. But I understand why he is because he is the biggest star of that division. Um. And Shingo Takagi getting, in my opinion, the short end of the stick here on his team. Because, as you mentioned, he was on the main card last year teaming with Sting and Darby. And I was hoping for him to have, like, a a banger match, like a mm. singles or something. Um, But, yeah, this match was, again, this match was fine. Uh, TJP being on this show is cool, considering... There's a lot of people who, um, you know, know him from Impact and WWE, mm-hmm. and um, him getting this spotlight was very cool for him. And 
you know, what can you say that hasn't been said about Jeff Cobb? He's one of the most athletic big guys that there ever has been. And I'm in awe every time he does something. Um, but yeah, this this was another another fun teaser for the whole show, basically. And um, I wasn't surprised with who won the match. Yeah, Lij picked up the win uh, over United Empire. Yeah. All right. So we move on to the main card. There's about there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I think nine matches in the main card. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start off with, uh, not surprisingly, uh, the AEW World Title match between MJF and Hiroshi Tanahashi because MJF uh, can't stand Canada. I wanted to get the hell out of this country as quick as possible, so he <laughs> demanded to be demanded to be on the top of the card so he can get the hell out of Canada. Yes. Um, um again, the results never in question, I think. Uh, what was surprising to me, and I think was kind of evident when you watched his match with Swerve on um Collision. Collision was that uh Tanahashi is not a spring chicken anymore. You know, no, he he's, is not. He is getting up there. His knees are shot. You can tell every time he moves. Um, so he was kind of slow on in both of these matches, and that's fine. He's a veteran who's been doing this for at this point twenty plus years. Um, he's one. Of, he's probably, if not one of. New Japan's biggest stars ever. Still incredibly popular, especially with international yes. audiences. Absolutely. Uh, so this match was fine, and I enjoyed it for what it was. It was, you know, MJF being MJF, um, doing an abdominal stretch and grabbing the ropes and yep. and doing it three times and Bryce catching him the third time because Bryce is not an idiot. He knew that he was doing it because he saw the ropes moving. He just would pull his hand away every time Bryce would look, um, which is, you know, classic MJF stuff. Uh, There was one point where he tried to leave because he didn't want to even have the match. Yeah. And Tanahashi started a coward chant, (laughs) which Adam Cole started to get him to accept the match. Um, because as we know, MJF didn't want to have this match to begin with, because he thinks that New Japan is an indie. Um, which is hilarious every time he says it. But um, <laughs> considering they are hands down the, I mean, now especially the third biggest company in the world, and the biggest company in Japan. Um. But yeah, there was a lot of a lot of MGF antics in this match. Um Tanahashi trying to uh you know still be Tanahashi and it not looking great. Right. But he was uh, able to yeah. able to cover up enough for it yeah. to work. I mean, he was able to hit the dragon screw leg whip and lock yes. into Cloverleaf for a while. 
before yep. Max got to the bottom rope to force the break. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, MJF is just great with his reactions and stuff. And like, there was the point where he was, you know, on the top rope and he did the Ric Flair spot where he's like shaking his head and, and uh, Tanahashi threw him off the top rope. Uh, he was very, he, he was very Ric Flair esque in this match. And, um, you know, Tanahashi was able to hit a cross body, which is like a standing high fly for something he does every match, essentially. Yeah. But of course, the match, um, um, match ended with uh, the presence of the dynamite diamond ring. Um, yes. Uh, so Max also like hurt his knee early yeah. in the match doing a move and um which he also does that a lot actually he he sells his knee off of stuff that he does himself which i think is a good thing that he adds to the matches and he actually hurt it even more when he blocked the high fly flow and uh of course he tried to win with the salt of the earth and got to the ropes, and that's where he got frustrated and used the diamond ring for a very abrupt finish. Right. Which is just what you expect from somebody like MJF against a legend. Yeah. So the winner of the match, the dynamite diamond ring with assistance yes. from MJF's fist. <laughs> but anyway, uh, very interesting to see how we go forward because uh lately uh as of this recording mjf is currently teaming with rival adam cole in the blind eliminator tag tournament and uh mjf is actually he might be a good heel but he's also good at playing the fake baby face that we all know is just a ruse from the shit heel <laughs> and... yes of course <laughs> of course this is what mjf does right he knows so they had their first match after the uh you know, right before they were announced as a team, um, where Adam Cole came within seconds of beating him. And we knew that he yeah. he was within seconds of beating him. But it went to a 30-minute time limit draw. And ever since then, ever since they've been announced as being partners in this tournament, MJF has gone out of his way to try to be friend. Adam Cole, but in a very smarmy MJF way. And Adam Cole obviously sees through this the whole time, but they kind of bonded on their mutual hatred for Tony Schiavone. <laughs> um, they, this past week on Dynamite, they had the great skit where they went to the gym and uh, they were doing bench presses and MJF asked for a spot. And Adam Cole was looking at his phone the whole time. Right. And then they switched and MJF expected Adam Cole to do less weight. And he was surprised to notice that Adam Cole did it easily without help. And I love how the, I love how this segment just ended with Max just going, what the? F and just, yes. and just going. Uh, there was also the point where they noticed a very fat guy who is absolutely is actually an independent wrestler yeah. named Puff. Yep, who has who has appeared on AW television before. Oh uh, yes. Uh, they were watching him uh spin a single weight around his body. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they were just calling him fat, 
And well, no, MJF was calling him fat. Right, and making, then Adam make... is Adam, and then I don't know what Adam's response is, but his attitude was basically like, "Max, it's twenty twenty three. You can't just keep. You can't just say people are fat anymore." Although yes. he does look like Tony Schiavone. <laughs> yes. So that was a fun segment, and then they had their first match together, and um, they won handily because they were facing the team of uh, Daddy Magic and the Butcher, Wait, the Butcher, also known as Magic Meat. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, I think we're I'm veering off the topic here. Well, no, it, it's a relevant bit. to yeah, it's, well, it's, somewhat it's, relevant. Yeah. It's we're we're talking about what's next for the people in the match, right? Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, this is this is clearly leading to Adam Cole and MJF uh, running through this tournament until they get to the finals where they lose, and MJF ending the ruse. Thinking that Adam Cole is going to, you know, become more of a friend of his and um, not want a title shot anymore. But he's definitely going to want a title shot. And that's probably going to be what the main event to All Out is. Um, But yeah, they also had a birthday segment for Adam Cole, which was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Uh, MJF did his uh impeccable singing of the happy birthday song which was actually really good to be honest with you yes of course and uh when he asked uh adam cole to make a wish he went behind him like he was going to throw him into the cake and adam cole saw that coming and he threw mjf into the cake which happens to mjf a lot he gets thrown into cakes let's not forget how uh, max cheaped out on the cake and just got a really small Small cake. Yes, it was like it was like a five dollar Carvel cake Lit- or something. Literally, yeah. Um, and then there was you know there was a bunch of independent wrestlers and agents, with party hats, and and MJF is sitting on the ground covered in cake on his head, and Adam Cole is like, you know what, this was really nice, and then he just leaves. <laughs> so yeah, there. <laughs> That was that was really cool, really fun, and uh, yeah, like I said, this is going to lead to them eventually facing for the belt again, which I can't wait for. Uh, so next match on Forbidden Door. Yeah, talk about probably of, yeah, probably the most. Uh, I would um, say fan interactive match because the people yes. there in Toronto. Really uh, the, know how it felt. The the word I was looking for was um like split of Ooh. the crowd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so what we had here is a first round match for the Owen Hart Foundational Tournament of the men's side. It's the first round match. It's CM Punk facing the Japanese veteran Santoshi Kojima. Um, I think this came on as a result of uh them not being able to do CM Punk versus Kenta. Correct. Uh, that would have been uh, probably something a little more prominent here, but uh, I don't think the result was ever in doubt. But I will tell you, man, in comparison to Chicago when Punk was like basically yeah. lauded as the as a saint, here 
Yeah, the crowd is definitely split. I will tell you, I and my friend were cheering for CM Punk, but most of the people around me, were of course, do not appreciate Mr. Punk's presence. Uh, no. man, there's a lot of just, um, you know, FU Punk, that kind of a yeah. chance. So, so being there, experiencing that live, what was the atmosphere like? Was it like how loud did it feel? Like, how like, yeah i thought one I, I how one-sided so used, did it yeah. feel i honestly just from my little general radius i thought there was a bit of a split i did see some people were kind of cheering for punk but i will tell you majority overall in the arena the people were just really booing punk and you could see it mm. in the subsequent um collision dates in hamilton and you know even yeah in hamilton the tapings in hamilton yeah. um it was uh yeah uh he's not being very well liked up in Canada these days it seems based on what I heard. So, so um, I so we haven't really talked about this because we haven't really like gotten the chance to like really like dive into like his reactions. Like, do you think that the reactions are a result of brawl out or are they because? There are so many people that love the elite and think that, like, they are picking a side. That's an interesting question. I would say it is a probably a combination of just uh, what happened as a result of Brawl Out, of course. But mm-hmm. also... Eventually, I feel this was going to happen. Like, CM Punk doing the whole nice baby face thing, eventually it's going to wear thin. It wore thin in WWE in from 2012 and then into 2013. Mm-hmm. Actually, it, it didn't last through all of 2012, basically. Well, because I think, but, I think Punk has always had this, and I've always loved CM Punk from the moment that I saw him, which was in uh, ROH in 2005. I was there the day that he signed his WWE contract on the ROH title. Mm-hmm. Um and um I think that he's always been polar always been polarizing from yeah. day 1. From day 1 always been polarizing. And I think that this CM Punk is more of the real CM Punk. And cuz he's not He's always been opinionated. He's always been loud. He's always been the first to talk. You know, whatever, whatever it is. Right. I, I think back when he uh, when when he came out in uh, in in what was that the first episode? Was it? No, it was just yeah, the episode of Rampage when he made his debut. You know, that was obviously in Chicago, but man, that was just the wave of emotion of just seeing him back after seven years. And then yes. from 2021 to like, you know, mid 2022, there was that just, it was still the honeymoon wave up until he won the AEW world title. Then he gets injured, had to, um, they had to have an interim champion and then he lost it. And then, yeah. And then he regained that all out. And then that's when the whole massive, yeah. so that was, but that's when the, he, the, I think he basically took the mask, took, took his guards down, took out, took, took, took down this veneer and kind of just, became the real Phil Brooks for like that's but yes. those couple of minutes and then that the, the thing that's the thing that's weird about it is that like CM Punk loves wrestling 
And he also is aware that the biggest thing they could do is have that trios match. The biggest thing that he could do is have a match with Kenny Omega. And he's aware of that. But for whatever reason, because he wasn't the only one at fault for Brawl Out. We, we've talked about this before. Yeah. All, all the parties involved are right. at fault. More so the Young Bucks than Kenny Omega. But the Young Bucks only get hate in Chicago. Whereas CM Punk gets hate everywhere. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that he is a lot more vocal than they are. Um, and some people don't like that. But that's kind of what happens when you're honest. That's kind of what happens when people don't agree with your honesty. Yeah, I mean, let's look at CM Punk's first promo back after his uh, his injury in the first episode of Collision. He came out there put with the with two black boots around his neck. We kind of saw some symbolism of that. And he, had, he came out with this red bag that looks just, like looked about the same size as a standard AEW title. And it's like, yes. oh, God, I think I don't. And then he's like basically saying, until somebody beats me for this, I'm still the top guy around here. Well, and yes, and, even, and then and then you got this new line where he goes around saying, you know, tell me when I'm telling a lie, and ninety nine percent of the stuff he said, it's kind of hard to dispute. And I yeah. think he's just being his authentic self and just saying, look, I'm here to wrestle, I'm here to be champion, I'm here to do the best stuff I can do, and it's like, like me, hate me, whatever, just you know, and at least react, react something. It's, it's gone so, it's gone so far as. For Eddie Kingston, of all people, who hates CM Punk, I think (laughs) legitimately, to say CM Punk is doing his job. And I might not like him, but I know what the right thing to do is. And at the end of the day, he's not hurting anybody by being here. He's just doing his job. Um... And let's so, look at let's look at all overall like you know just words gets flown around somehow I think some people feel how fickle some fans are I mean like we bet we were begging this guy for seven years to come back to wrestling and finally he does and like for you to expect him to be just this like you know perfect saint or something it's uh, I think it's really unrealistic and I mean yeah. I don't think we expected him to like. Escalate, escalate to a point where he gets in a backstage legitimate fight with his co-workers that get to just get spilled over so. into into uh into the uh, f- uh, front stage but um anyway it's like you know i mean so, I, I i think I, i'm the, the at least what, the way i think he's handling it is pretty good i mean just the way the match unfolded with kojima you know he sees the booze he he might he, instead of like being the heel and just going you know yeah well screw you too or just he's just kind of absorbing it you know i, I love yeah. the spot where kojima so, was doing the thing with his uh chest you know the the, yes. whole, the whole peck uh the whole peck bounce and then uh yeah. Punk takes him down and he starts doing the peck bounce and everybody's just like booing the crap so even in the build to this match because cm punk has talked about wanting to face Satoshi Kojima, and I believe they have faced before mm. in the past, I think in MLW of all places. No. Um, but uh, 
Because in two thousand, when MLW first started in the early two thousands, Toshi Kojima was the champion, and CM Punk did did appearances there. Um, but um, just the way that this match started off with like all CM Punk knowing the crowd is rampant right now, and Jima doing a promo before this match saying that he wanted to kill CM Punk just be just because he could. I um, think later subsequently he tweeted out, look, I think I was mistranslated or something. <laughs> but <laughs> um um they started off this match with striking of course and uh going outside the ring and trading chops and uh Satoshi Kojima of course is uh, famous for doing a lariat and they're yeah. back in the ring and CM Punk is doing clotheslines in the corner, and he's just screaming, Lariat, Kojima, Lariat, Kojima. And the crowd is eating that up because he knows that they hate it. <laughs> and then he does the Hulk Hogan ear, hand to the ear thing, and does a leg drop because he knows <laughs> that they're going to hate that also because these fans oh, don't oh, like yeah, Hulk I mean... Hogan. <laughs> Yes, Hulk Hogan, famously banned permanently from AEW events. Yes, but not Sabu. Yeah, um, okay. Uh, I love how uh, I love how <laughs> Punk. I love how Punk brought back the Anaconda Vice, even if it was just, even if yes. it was just this rare time. I mean, I'm sure he'll use it on other occasions, but uh, nice to see him break out some old fa- some of his own moves. Um, yes, but uh, Kojima brought out the classics. He did the machine gun chops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he did. He, he even did some Mongolian chops, which is what his partner normally does. Um, Hiroshi Tenzan. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, CM Punk eventually would get uh, control of the match as we all expected, hit the uh, savage elbow, and then lock in the Anaconda Vice. But he took his time hitting that elbow because he he just sat on the top rope and ate. The, the fan reaction mm-hmm. up a little bit. And then when uh, Kojima kicked out of the elbow is when he locked in the Anaconda Vice, which led to the But after the match, even though CM Punk is play, was playing to the crowd the whole time, he was not in there to be malicious. He was in there to win a match in a tournament. And he respects Satoshi Kojima. And he got it, got Jima up and raised his hand, hugged him, and then he just left. Because, as we mentioned, he's there to wrestle. He's not there for the bullshit. He just wants to wrestle, do his job, make some money. And it's the fans that are creating this reaction, not him. Uh, as far as I think he believes it, I don't. I mean, they believe it. I, I think the fans believe he's the reason for the reaction, but it is what it is. This was a great match. I loved this match. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, CM Punk is now in the onto the second round of the tournament, where would will not uh, be as fun as he faces Samoa Joe. Faces one of his greatest yep. rivals ever. Yep. Samoa Joe. 
So uh, just a little bit of the build to this match was uh, Samoa Joe faced Broderick Strong in the first round. And they had a hell of a match, which uh, Samoa Joe won, of course. But after the match, he hit a... Um, he picked up think... Roddy. He picked up Roddy and slammed him onto a chair, and then left. yeah, he did. A, he did like an emerald explosion onto the chair, and Roddy got stretchered out. And Adam Cole came out because he was there uh, to support his friend, and uh, CM Punk just stood there, kind of uh, in shock. Mo- mo- I-, I think more so because Roddy was hurt. And less so because Joe was the one to do it, because he knows what Joe is capable of. Um, but Adam Cole never acknowledged that CM Punk was there. CM Punk never acknowledged that Adam Cole was there. Um, I didn't think they needed a reason to, because um, no, I mean, no, it wasn't Punk's fault that what happened to Roddy Punk was just sitting there doing commentary. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. So Roddy did a stretcher job and then showed up on Dynamite wearing a neck brace saying he was ready to go. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. Um, and uh, CM Punk versus Samojo is happening uh, this Saturday on Collision. Right. I'm very much looking forward to that match. Um, so yeah, uh, Kojima heads back to Japan. Uh He's recently been working Noah more recently than uh, New Japan. Yeah. Uh, no- Noah and New Japan kind of have a strong relationship right now where they're uh, exchanging talent. Um, Noah's champion is going to be in the G1. Oh, so Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so uh, on to the next match. Yeah, if you want to talk about a fun match, here's a fun match. The AEW International title on the line in a four-way contest between the champion Orange Cassidy, Daniel Garcia, um, the Ring of Honor Pure Champion Katsuyori Shibata, and the New Japan World Television Champion Sack Sabre Jr. There's a lot of gold dripping off of this match, but only one of them is on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh these four guys, uh, they tore it up in a tag match where Orange teamed up with Shibata against uh, Sack and Daniel and Garcia. And, yes. And I believe in that contest, it was uh, Garcia and Zach that picked up the win. And then afterwards, that match, uh, everybody put their hands on the international title, including mm-hmm. Orange, who tried to take it back. But all of them, including his own partner, Apparently, wanted a piece of that sweet, sweet international championshipness. So, uh, yes, yes, the uh, way match was made. So there was some miscommunication in said tag match where Orange Cassidy accidentally orange punched right. uh, Shibata, and um, Cassidy and Shibata have a history of uh, facing each other that one time for this exact championship, which Orange Cassidy won. And Zack Sabre Jr. has kind of been looking for a match, and Orange Cassidy has been looking for a challenge. So and then Daniel Garcia, who has kind of been going for the pure title, he wants the pure title back. And I believe that match is going to happen at the next ROH yeah. pay-per-view. But in the meantime, they were all, you know, put into this match, and it was one hell of a match. This was 
one of my favorite matches of the show. Um, they they started off the match where they were um, all four of them were just standing in the ring, and Orange Cassidy started the match doing the sloth style kicks. Yep, and uh, Zach picked up uh, his foot and then swung it around and then passed it to Garcia, who passed it to Shibata, who passed it back to Zach Saber Jr. And that just broke, it broke down from there. Uh, and um, there was some great spots in this match, especially uh, the history between Zack Sabre Jr. and Shibata is well documented in New Japan Cups and stuff like that uh, and in British wrestling. And they had them this moment during the match where they're just trading uppercuts. Yep. And Daniel Garcia is trying <laughs> to get their attention but they are too busy uppercutting each other. Right. They do not even care that Daniel Garcia is there. They just keep pushing him away every time he gets in their face so they can continue to uppercut each other. And then once they notice him, they start hitting him, and all he does is that yes. stupid dance that he does but at his he, entrance. He's, he's, he's sports entertaining, Mike. He's sports entertaining the crowd. I think, I think when we were there... Uh, yeah, we, everybody was popping. Every time Dr. Daniel took a punch in the face, he just starts sports entertaining. Yeah, yes, yeah, doing this dance that it. he does that he did once where he ripped his pants. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but that's funny. But that's, but that's actually was pretty funny. That that was a good funny part. It was just like, I was like he just keeps getting hit, and it's just falling down. He just keeps dancing away. It's like. So, <laughs> uh, Orange Cassidy, of course, as we know, since he's been uh, doing all these title defenses, has been building up injuries. And uh, one of the spots was just him and Zack Sabre Jr. going at it. And Zack Sabre Jr. gets him down. And he's just doing the sickest, like, joint manipulation that you've ever seen. He's, like, stomping on the hand and then twisting the hand repeatedly and uh, I I don't know how Zack Sabre Jr. does this stuff without hurting people, but he's so good at it. He's uh, one of the greatest technical wrestlers in the world. Um, but uh, the match uh, starts to break down, of course, between all four guys. Yeah, I mean, there and, was a part where um, they were kicking each other one by one, and then I guess they all went in their own corner, and then all simultaneously, like, like pump-kicked mm-hmm. each other in the face. Yes. <laughs> and all four of them fell down at the same time. Yes, so um, the finish saw Orange Cassidy, like, basically just steal a victory, I believe. Right. It was, Shibata uh, hit his finisher on Garcia, and then Yes, and then he, out. yeah, uh, Zach had been taken out originally already, and Shibata hit the uh, the PK on uh, the penalty kick on uh, Daniel Garcia, and Orange Cassidy rushed in the ring and sh- and threw Shibata out and stole the victory. Which at this point, after everything that Orange Cassidy's been through, is you know a valid way for him to get the victory. Um. Especially with all this stuff going on, he doesn't have to be involved in the thing that caused the pinfall. Uh, he just needs to get the pinfall. 
So I absolutely adored this match. As I mentioned, it's it's one of my favorite matches of the show. Um, and yeah, Orange Cassidy keeps the belt and uh, he moves on to the Blind Eliminator tournament where he is teaming with Darby Allen, who he has teamed with before. Right. So it wasn't um, that was like the one that hit them. And uh, yeah, I think that was the only team currently, as I know, in this blind eliminator that has teamed before, um, aside from Swerve and Keith. Well, but, yes, that's that's who they faced. Yeah. And throughout the match, uh, see, Keith, of course, is much bigger than, than both guys. And they were just trying to get him down for a whole lot of time, and they just couldn't. And I don't think Swerve was. I don't think Swerve was trying to lose the match. No, they, they he, tried because he was because he was forced to team with Keith. But it looked like he wasn't trying to win it either. Well, um, the match really broke down when Swerve and Keith kept accidentally hitting each other, and we were like, "Yeah." Oh. So, so Keith was trying to win, to whereas um, Swerve was just trying not to get hurt. Um. <laughs> And it was really fun, but uh, Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen ended up moving on. Uh, so that, as we mentioned, um, Shibata and Daniel Garcia are most likely going to be facing at the next ROH pay-per-view for the pure title. Uh, and Daniel Garcia is also in the blind tournament, teaming with Sammy Guevara who we will have more to say about later. Um, and Zack Sabre Jr. will be in the G1 again. Um, the G1 will be starting soon. So I, I believe next week, actually. Uh, I got to get the exact date. But um, yeah. So on to the next match. The next match is uh, really... And well, really is the sort of what we expected the AEW versus New Japan kind of match. It is uh, an open challenge put forward by the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Sonata. Um, challenge was accepted by Jungle Boy Jack Perry, who is in, uh, he said this year he is going after a singles championship. Um, he asked his, uh, at this at this point, his friend Hook. The FTW champion to accompany accompany him to the ring. Uh, Sonata is uh, became the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion um, earlier this year. I think uh, it was around uh, April. Uh, yeah, he won it at uh, Sakura Genesis in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. I mean, there's been a lot of comparisons of Sonata at least. In terms of look, with uh, like an early Antonio and Noki, uh, this is a really big example, really a high, a big example of I guess like a company with a mid card guy that's been there for years, and then you know it was like either he makes it big this time, or it was like it wasn't going to, and he beat Okada, he beat Okada for this world title. Um, yes. After basically ditching his uh, old teammates in LIJ for the group that you don't like the name of, 
just five guys. Well, I I just don't like the name, but I I mean Sonata is really the only guy in the group that I like. So right. everybody else uh, is just like kind of just there. Um, right. uh, but um, so this match was so when this match was announced, a lot of people and I mean we talked about it in our last show with Tanner quickly. But um, a lot of people were surprised that Jungle Boy was the guy challenging Sonata. But as we mentioned, it was an open challenge, so anybody could challenge him. Um, he was just the first one to do it. Um, so I was kind of surprised that this match ended the way that it did. But then I thought about the story. So this match... The, I didn't hate this match. I just didn't love it like I wanted to. Um, was it like was I, it like a match on paper? You thought it would be good, but then when it when it was when if when the match actually happened, it was just like, uh. I think so. I think what I expected was probably a little bit of a longer match and more, um, just more from. More from Jungle Boy, I think. Because this was a very much just full-on Sonata match. It, it it really was. Jungle Boy was not in Sonata's league. That was the story of the match. And I understand that's why they did... So, this entire match was a, was a setup for what we're going to talk about right, right, exactly. at the end. But I think that the whole point of having this match was to prove that Jungle Boy is not there yet in storyline. Jungle Boy is not ready to be a world champion because of how much he looked, how bad he looked against Sonata in storyline. Because he didn't look bad in general. He just looked bad against Sonata because he was supposed to. You know? Because, um, yes, Jungle Boy tried early on to gain the advantage, but Sonata's just too good. And that, again, became the story of the match. And when it ended so abruptly, because there, there really isn't a lot of spots to talk about in this match, well, that, the spots I liked was that Jungle Boy tried to because he some he learned Sonata's own submission skull end and tried yes. to use it on Sonata didn't work. Uh, I like I I also almost forgot about this, but Sonata has a move where he basically ties you up in a ball, and then uh, it's so that's it's called the Paradise Lock. Okay, and you also uh, yes. so the Paradise Lock in which he basically ties your hands and feet together somehow. I don't yes. know how he did it. It's, I don't know how he does it. it. Yeah. It's a work. It's a work. I know, I know, but it's but it's, <laughs> it's, it's designed to give you the illusion that somehow you are trapped within your own body, and then you just you just yes. punch kicks and then, you in the, in the back, and then as soon as you get kicked in the butt, you lose it. Yeah, it, uh, it's a it's a but, funny um, spot, but but yeah, so, the match ended with I think it was Sonata hitting the moonsault, and then uh, yeah. So the, yeah. the thing about that is, so I remember I remember feeling surprised though. So throughout the match, basically, Jungle Boy is every once in a while trying to trying to hit some something to get the upper hand on Sonata, but 
he he just can't. And Sonata would just hit him with whatever you know, whatever everything that Sonata does, basically, like like you said, the Paradise Law. Um, he tried obviously tried to get the snare trap early, but it you know it just was too early. Uh, there was a point where they traded reverse Frankenstein, and when Jungle Boy did his, it didn't look as crisp, but when Sonata hit it back, it looked a lot nicer. And again, I think that was by design. I think that this this entire match was laid out to make Jungle Boy look bad in the ring. Not saying that he actually is. In storyline, they were trying to make it look like he was. And because he was just not ready for Sonata. Um, so, yes, Sonata would get the upper hand. He would lock in the skull end and do the uh the swinging variation that he does with it sometimes which i which i really like um he uh hit the shining wizard which he of course uh sonata is a student of the great muda uh which is why he does pretty much all of his moves uh does the moonsault does the shining wizard um, so hitting all those moves and hitting them crisply, the Sonata is just, Sonata is that good. And then just abruptly out of nowhere, hitting the moonsault after this, uh, swinging skull end variation, um, and winning. And a lot of people were surprised because he doesn't normally... He doesn't really end matches with the moonsault anymore. Mm. I mean, he used to do that when he was younger, but it was just so abrupt and so weird that he that that's where he won the match, and uh, a lot of people expecting him to uh, hit his new finisher, which is uh, it's like an STO DDT variation. Um, like a, it's like a reverse face buster slash DDT variation. The name is escaping me right now, but uh, yeah. So Sonata just won, uh, and then left. And yep, uh, they mentioned on the in the commentary that he was getting ready for G one, so Sonata will be competing. Yes. In G1. So yeah, yes. so this match uh, ended abruptly quickly. Of course, the main uh, thing that people remembered was the conclusion. Well, can I what before, before, before yeah. you okay before 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 you do that we'll talk about what happened after they on TV because you were you were there so you didn't watch it I I just wanted to give you the uh, well I will tell you this I, I forgot to mention at the beginning they did have a large kind of like Titantron that is in the in the center of on the top ceiling so if so if it was essentially if I, I was is as if I was watching on a big screen like if I couldn't see something in in live. Because to be honest, I was I felt like I was actually closer to the ring than I originally thought. Mm -hmm. I wasn't I wasn't in the nosebleeds. I was kind of in the middle. So from my vantage yes. point, it was so, like close enough. The the point that I was going to make is yeah. watching this on technically on television. Like I said, I was in a movie theater. Um, they cut away. Yeah. From from Jungle Boy, mm -hmm. and went to commentary, and commentary was going to move on, 
they were going to go to something else. They were about to introduce the Japanese announced team or something. Yes. And then they they kept going back to Jungle Boy. Right. Which was which was odd, but of course we knew what was coming. Yeah. Um because as we we discussed with with Tanner that uh when he asked Hook to be in his corner, we knew that this was coming. And it was exactly what we expected. Right. So Jungle, so J- Jack was looking like uh, really spent. So Hulk was trying to help him up, up the ramp. And then they did the thing where they faced the crowd and, you know, um, Hook uh, uh, raised Jack's hand and trying to make him feel better. And then just out of nowhere, you know, a la Tommaso Ciampa on Johnny Gargano, Jungle Boy was... just lays out Hook with a clothesline. Man, I, I think. Like, you know, as we discussed with Tanner, I was kind of expecting it, but when it actually happened, I was just like, mm-hmm. everybody in the crowd was like, what? Yeah. yeah. And then finally, Jack just drops to his knees and then he just absorbs the booze that he knew for the first time that he felt like this is the right time for me to to get this. And then he, yes. does, he, he mockingly does the... Uh, yeah. If you can talk yeah. this is a podcast, but he just mockingly swings his arms like people yes, have been doing he, for like, his, like the crowd does like when the crowd they does for play song. Tarzan boy. Um, so yeah, and he went on social media immediately after this match and was like cursing up a storm, like reacting to people reacting to him. And um and it, it was it was great. And then, so he comes to Dynamite, right? And he <laughs> enters the ring and does this promo. He's wearing the same jacket that his dad wore in, like, yeah. a, in like I, a promo photo or something. I think it was, um, like, an old photo from, like, Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah, something like that. Um, but he's wearing shades, and he's got, like, this jacket on, and his hair is up. And he's just saying how... Uh, Jungle Hook is no more, and Hook was holding me back. And um, when when I see him again, I'm gonna kick the shit out of him. And the, and Hook's music plays, and he comes out, and Jungle Boy sprints, literally sprints into the crowd. He could not have been running faster than anyone else I've seen. And jumps into the back of a car that was already running because it was the same car that he got out of when he walked to the ring and just told them to leave. And then the following week, this past Wednesday, he basically does the exact same thing, but without getting to the ring. He literally gets out of the car and says... I'm about to go to Tony Khan's office and ask for an FTW title match against Hook. And as soon as he says that, Hook walks up wearing a black hoodie, hood up, and just starts beating the shit out of him. (laughs) And he just hops back into the car and tells the guy to leave. And that's it. One of these so, days, Hook is going to figure out how to slash tires in order well, to prevent well, that from happening. No, one of these days, the car isn't going to be running. Right. One of these days, there isn't going to be a driver in there. Yeah, he's going to have to drive himself if he can get the keys in the ignition in time. Yeah. One of these days, Hook is just going to beat the shit out of it. Right. And 
So I've heard a bunch of different scenarios that I like for the eventual match between these two. Um, of course, it's going to happen, but they're gonna they're gonna build to it. They're gonna they're gonna wait. Well, one one theory I heard is uh this is a perfect hair versus hair match scenario. Yes, yes that that was where I was going. It's like because... who 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 in losing their hair will dramatic drastically change the most? Yes. Um. So that is a scenario that I think could go either way. Yeah. Because um, Jack could use this to get even more heat because Hook's hair is part of his character. It, it is part of what makes him who he is. He does that whole thing before his matches where he doesn't look at his opponent and he looks away and you don't get that like feeling that you get when he does that without yeah but i think i think with hook like with short hair it would add a whole new dimension to his character like can you imagine hook coming out after he got his head shaved with a towel on his head the way his dad used to come out it would just it would make him more dangerous which i think is where i think would be the better scenario but also the the scenario of Jack losing that match and literally cutting away another thing that makes him Jungle Boy would make sense. Yeah, so because, both would make sense in some sense. Yes, so there's a there's a good way on either side. Like Jungle Boy already said, the song is gone. They're working on something new. They haven't debuted it yet. Um. That can you imagine? Can you can you imagine if it's some like the nine hundred two one zero theme song? The nine hundred two one zero theme song. That would piss off so many people. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm very curious to see where this goes. I want to see Jack do something with this character. See how he can play it. Uh, obviously, he's going to get better at it over time. He's still very young. Um, I thought it was very funny that he said he's got the hottest bitch in the the locker room. Right. Uh, and I checked Anna J's uh, Twitter. I think she did post some kind of emoji reaction. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's. I'm I'm looking forward to the match. I'm looking forward to where this goes. So yeah, on yeah. to the next match. Well, this was a. Bit of a mess, but uh happened. Um the elite, Hangman Page, Matt, and Nick Jackson, along with Eddie Kingston and Eddie Kingston's uh pan pick partner, Tomohiro Ishii from Chaos. They yes. faced the Blackpool Combat Club, uh trio of John Moxley, Wheel Yuta, and Claudio, alongside uh Konosuke Takeshita and John Moxley's uh, I guess protege, Shota Umino. Yes. Um I think really the main thing I remembered from this was the interactions between Eddie and Mox. That was um, the story of the match. That was the story. Of, that is the story of the match. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody touched Mox except Eddie. I can't remember. Yes, I mean, and that was part of the story. Because yeah. Eddie Kingston... All right, well, this was later in the match, but Eddie Kingston basically said without saying it, nobody, nobody fights John Moxley but me in this match. Or vice versa, because... There was a point later in the match where the Young Bucks were going to kick 
double super kick John Moxley and Eddie Kingston saved him. Yeah, yeah. Because he instinctively just can't not be there for Moxley. That's how much their relationship means to them. Um, so the basically the uh, obviously we know the whole story between the Blackpool Combat Club and and the elite. It's off of the Moxley Hangman feud, and um, all of this has been. I, I've loved this storyline, and we talked about how it just felt odd that. Well, it felt odd that Eddie Kingston was on the opposite side of John Moxley. It felt odd that he was teaming with a group that he doesn't like. He said he doesn't like them, but he does respect them, and he he doesn't like them less than he doesn't like Claudio. Um, and John Moxley was trying to talk to talk some sense into Eddie, basically, because John Moxley thinks that Eddie Kingston is stupid for still holding this grudge against Claudio. He's had this grudge against Claudio since 2011 when they had their feud in um Chikara. And that feud was built on respect. That entire feud was built on respect because Claudio did not respect that Eddie Kingston was where he was at the time because Eddie Kingston has always looked like he doesn't care to Claudio. That that was the crux of the story back then. And Claudio even said that recently when they feuded for the RRH title. The reason I don't respect you is because you don't care enough to make me respect you. Um, and Eddie Kingston doesn't respect Claudio for that and will not let that go. And um, John Moxley thinks that's dumb because... Eddie Kingston is just a hothead all the time. And I love that. That is a great wrinkle to the story to the point where even Renee Kett got involved. Of course, the wife of John Moxley. And when they were arguing backstage and she was supposed to interview them and she was just like, guys, stop this bullshit. I'm done. Like, um, but this match was... Of course, all over the place, but in a great way. There was a lot of trading of strikes, trading of signature moves. Um, but John Moxley and Eddie Kingston entered the ring together against each other. And all they did was chop the shit out of each other and <laughs> elbow each other. And they just continued to do that for like what seemed like 10 minutes, but was really only like five. <laughs> and um, while to, that to is a, to a lesser extent, Takeshita and Ishii also had a good sequence. They were also like yes, beating the shit out of each other too. Yes. Uh. So, but while Moxley and Kingston were trading shots, elbows, chops, whatever, everybody else is getting into chaos, and they're just staying in the ring and oh, punching each other. Yeah. The, uh, lately, there's that those tennis segments have been happening even not, not just AEW but like in other companies you know you know yeah. you just got two guys who are the main uh 
yep. a feud just standing and, there. Meanwhile, in the background, in, in the, the background, you got the young bucks doing swantons and splashes to the outside, and you got ha- Hangman Page hitting Orihara moonsaults, and <laughs> uh, but Moxley and Kingston are just still in the ring, trading chops and trading slaps and trading elbow shots to the face, and. They did that for so long, and I loved every second of it. Um, but then you had, um, as you mentioned, the exchange between Ishii and Takeshita, yeah. where Takeshita just obliterated Ishii with an elbow shot and almost knocked him out, which I don't think has happened a lot. Um, I mean, Ishii can take a beating. We've we've seen him take beatings before with with Shibata, with with Zack Saber Jr., with you know Kenny Omega, everybody you could think of. But I don't think he's ever been hit that hard and knocked down that abruptly. Um that was just a crazy shot. Um but yeah, there was as mentioned that spot where Things are breaking down, and Moxley is down, and the Bucks are going to hit a double super kick on him. And Eddie Kingston pushed him out of the way and took the shot, which, of course, would not make the Young Bucks very happy because they're trying to win the match. And he's basically preventing them from doing so. Yep. Um. So, Keshta, of course... He's uh he's great. He's going to be a star in this business. Um there was a point where he was alone in the ring with just the young bucks and um they hit a bunch of moves on him and went for the BTE trigger and he got out of the way and the young bucks uh got German suplexed together by him. Uh, M- M- Matt was holding on to Nick and he just German suplexed both of them by himself, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, and yeah, um, John Moxley, of course, uh, would uh how I'm I'm trying to remember off the top of my head how this match ended. Um I believe it was Takeshita hitting a knee on somebody. I think. I'm trying uh let me just double check. Uh let's see. Okay, so the match ended with um, Ishii delivered a suplex. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, he hit the brain buster on Wheeler Yuta, I think it was. Yeah, that that's right. Right. Yeah. So I was I was actually okay. So now now I remember it. Like it was coming. It's coming back to me. Uh, I was surprised that the elite even won this match. But, yeah. of course, I think they did it to set up 
another match, which we know is happening already. Um, and Yuta was already, you know, flying high after pinning Kenny Omega in the uh, um, uh, Anarchy match. Uh, but yeah, uh, Ishii hit Yuta with a brain buster after everything broke down and a lot of people got, like, traded moves and finishers and um, then after the match the Young Bucks uh, were arguing with Kenny, with Eddie Kingston even though they won because of course Eddie Kingston was like trying to still trying to save Moxley even though he is only in this match because of Claudia but now, the story is that Moxley wants to talk to Eddie and work this out. But Eddie is going to be busy because he will be in the G1, which is something he's always wanted to do. Um, Eddie Kingston also just recently at the same independent show that we talked about earlier, Independence Day show, won the New Japan Strong Openweight Championship off of Kenta. It was a hell of a match. I, I loved it. Um, the G1 starts on July 15th. Um, and Eddie is in the same block as David Finley, Tomohiro Ishii, Evil, Amatonga, Shingo Takagi, Aaron Hanare, and Mikey Nichols. So, he will have a match against... Each of them, uh, that that is in uh, the C block. So um, there's four blocks this year. Um, and they'll have, uh, I, I believe it's the winner of A faces the winner of B, and the winner of C faces the winner of D, and then the winner of both of those matches will face in the finals. I believe that's how it's going. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, 32 participant participants this year. I believe that is the same as last year. And there's a lot of first time competitors. Um, Yotasuji is in it for the first time. Shota Umino, I believe, is in it for the first time. Gabriel Kidd is in it for the first time. And as I mentioned earlier, Kaito Kiyomiya is the uh, he's the Noah champion who recently had a semi rivalry with Kazuchika Okada, basically off of the same reason that Eddie Kingston and Claudio hate each other because of respect. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the G1. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch all of it because there's going to be it's going to be so long. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, also, so it's already been announced that they're doing blood and guts again with uh with men and not women, and um, it's going to be Team Elite versus Team Blackpool Combat Club. But Eddie Kingston will be busy, like I said, in the G One while it's happening. Uh, the show is taking place on July nineteenth in Boston. Um, so 
both teams are in need of a participant. Yeah. Um, so we think uh, everybody seems to, I think at this point, know who the fifth participant on the elites team is. Uh, and it's the person that we talked about with uh, Hanner when we discussed this match. Yep. Um, the question is who's going to be on Team BCC? Well, we got an inkling of that this past Wednesday on Dynamite when Don Callis um, came out during Chris Jericho's promo when Chris was talking about making another change once again. And Don yes. offered him a spot in... The not really existent right now, but perhaps soon to be Don Callis family. Yes. And uh, Chris didn't say yes or no. He just said maybe. So I I feel like that's where they're leading Chris Jericho well, as the fifth person, because that would make Chris Jericho having been a participant of Blood and Guts for every year since its inception in AEW. Yes. Uh. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I think. At least I hope that that will be the end of the Elite versus BCC feud. I mean, I've loved it, but of course we've had so many feuds in the past that have gone on way too long. Yep. Uh, that JAS versus uh, BCC feud went on forever, and I don't want this to be that. Um. So yeah. Uh, on to the next match. Well, we're coming, kind of coming up with a home stretch here. Just got about yes. four more matches left. So the next one, uh, they're the big ones. Well, I mean, next one is the uh, women's, uh, the AW Women's World Title match. Tony Storm defending against, at that time, uh, the, the New Japan Strong Women's Champion Willow Nightingale. Um, yes. sad to say, this was the moment when I chose to take a break, and so did scores of other men in the arena. I didn't, I all I knew was that Tony Storm retained, obviously. I'm just reading some notes here from uh, somewhere else. Uh, Willow Nightingale hits a pretty good moonsault. Uh, I believe Soraya and Ruby were ejected from ringside by the referee after yes. trying to slip spray paint to Tony. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, um, Tony took a cheap shot, raked uh, Willow's eyes, and hit the Storm Zero for the pin. And, uh, I mean, there wasn't really much um, storyline build to this. There was like, you know, I mean, unless you think originally the whole idea of the New Japan Strong Women's title was supposed to go to Mercedes Monet. Unfortunately, she Well, of course. Um, Yes. Unfortunately, she got injured during that match, and in a in a moment of just very well done um, last minute sort of like on on the spot booking, she told Willow, "Just pin me because I'm I can't go on." So that was very classy. Yes. Um. So there were some fun spots in this match. Uh, Willow hit a uh, Death Valley driver on the apron. Mm. Um. There was a point where uh, Tony Storm was kind of in control and she was kind of just toying with uh, Willow and kicking her in the face. And that just fired up Willow to the point where she got up and um, was not selling the shots because she was, you know, uh, 
in the zone or whatever. And she used that to uh, hit a spine buster and then hit an, uh, lock in an Indian death lock, which was a great spot. Um, but yeah, Tony Storm would ultimately win because we knew she would. Um, but it was a fun match regardless. Um, so yes, as you mentioned, Willow, Willow was not supposed to be here. She's great, and she might have earned it over time by having great matches, but this was not supposed to be her. Um, because she wasn't supposed to have that belt. It was supposed to be Mercedes Monet. We all pretty much know that, and I think we would have gotten her versus Tony here, and we would have had a more memorable match. Not saying that this match wasn't memorable in its own way, but it, it was fine. It just wasn't Mercedes versus Tony, which is what we were kind of expecting before the Mercedes injury. With that said, what we've been talking about the Independence Day show, uh, Willow would be challenged by one of the, in my opinion, one of the best women's wrestlers in the world today by uh, Julia who uh, we, we've talked about a little in the past, but uh, Julia is, without a doubt, in my, in my opinion, and probably most people's other opinions, the best and biggest crossover star in stardom right now. Um, she was just most recently the, the world champion over there, and she lost it uh, at their most recent biggest pay-per-view. I, uh, the name is escaping me right now. Because I'm I'm just getting into stardom and I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, but Julia is one of the best wrestlers in the world, and uh, she is now the champion. And I don't know if she would be if it wasn't for the Mercedes injury. I don't I don't know if Mercedes if Mercedes was the champion, would she have challenged Julia for this belt? I don't know. Um, but Julie is now the champion, and um, she has already called out Tony Storm. Uh, I don't know when that match will happen because I don't know if Julie has ever been to America. If she has, I, I, I don't know off the top of my head when. Um, but um, yeah. Uh, Julia is the champion now, the, the New Japan Strong Women's Champion, the second ever. And um, I I would highly recommend people go watch that match. It was, other than the death match that we talked about earlier, was easily my favorite match of the entire Independence Day two nights. Uh, it was a hell of a match. Um, and Willow has earned where she is. There's no denying that. And, um, we were talking about Athena earlier. Uh, Willow, I think is going to beat her, uh, to earn an ROH title shot down the line and to get into the finals of the Owen Hart tournament, mm. where I assume she'll be facing Ruby. So, but it would be more interesting if Willow faced Sky Blue 
wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think? Because they've been teaming together Mm, recently. No, I don't. I don't think that because of the history between. Yeah. Because of the history between Ruby and Will. Yeah, I just, I just remember, Um, just like, uh, just, just, just almost over six months ago, they just had like a, a death match with Anna Jay and Ty Conti, Ruby and Willow. I mean, so. Yeah. Uh. But there's that bigger history with the. Yeah. So. I'm I'm pretty sure that's going to be the final. Who wins that match? I have no idea. I would be interested to see if like Britt Baker does some kind of interference. Whether I would think she would do it in the finals between Ruby and yes. Willow, which would be more. Yeah, impactful. that's very that, that's very possible. Or maybe the return of Jamie Hader if she's available. Yes, because right, if they're not doing a women's blood and guts match now, then I don't know. Maybe they want to wait till later once they actually. Because they keep teasing that there's like, you know, the outcast versus everybody else, but the but the everybody else keeps like changing. It went from like Britt yes. and Jamie to, to Sheeta, and now Sheeta's gone again, not not doing it again. And then it's like now Jamie's hurt, and now it's just Britt. So it's just been kind of strange. And um All right. Okay. So yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Now uh, on on to the best match of the entire show. Right. It is. <laughs> Yeah, because I feel like you've been waiting to talk about this one. It is for the IWGP United States Championship. The defending champion Kenny Omega is trying is is facing off against Will Osprey. It is a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom seventeen when uh, Osprey lost the title to Omega. This was one of the first matches announced for the Forbidden Door card because, frankly, people were pretty much expecting it. You know. Uh, all the reviews of the January fourth match, you know, said they stole the show. It was like probably at that point the best match of the year, let alone like probably in the last decade or so. Um, mm-hmm. with some added caveats this time, uh, Kenny Omega is no longer with Don Callis. In fact, Don Callis basically came out with Will Osprey along with two blurry guys in masks that look like security people. Um, yes. Yeah, Don Callis. Uh, I I basically said that uh, Kenny Omega, since he came back, was not the Kenny Omega that I raised during for like thirty years, and now he's basically saying it was Kenny's fault that he broke up his family and all this other stuff. So, um, being the chicken shit Don Callis is, he's uh, trying to capitalize on this rematch and just trying to butter up to. Uh, well, Osprey, who apparently doesn't like Canada either, especially Niagara Falls. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But uh, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with this. This this, this match was just like the the highlights I remember, but it was just like the way that it was built up. It was just like so so. Crazy. It was such a slow build throughout, right. and um, Will Osprey talked in like a lot yes, of the, pre- the a I lot did. of the pre- a lot of the press that he did before this match. Where people were praising that match, the 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 Wrestle Kingdom match, um, and he talked about how he he didn't like that match because he was basically it was eighty twenty Kenny Omega like the whole time. Kenny Omega was basically in control of him throughout, and it was his mission in this match to change that. And this match was. This match was 50-50 throughout, as far as I'm concerned. But, oh my god. 
so much to talk about in this match. Um, so Will Ospreay once again came out to Elevated, which he brought back at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and I assume he's going to do going forward on special occasions. It's easily his better theme song. Um, Kenny Omega came out to Devil's Sky, his New Japan theme. Um, and yeah, uh, this had the feeling of a huge match from the beginning. Uh, Osprey, uh, there's so many things to talk about. So he did a, uh, he had Kenny Omega draped over the top rope and hit a shooting star press on the back of Kenny Omega. Then followed that up by hitting a os cutter on the apron. Um, a little bit later in the match, they go outside. And there was a spot in the first match. So New Japan has these horrible tables. Mm. Absolutely horrible tables. They are not gimmicked. They are very hard. They are very hard to break. Um, but Kenny Omega would slam Osprey's face into one of these tables and break a hole in it. And he basically did a here's Johnny spot from The Shining, uh, and said, here's Kenny. And um, Will Ospreay remembered that because he basically did the exact same thing to Kenny Omega on the, um, I, I don't know what you call it, the cover of the announce table, um, where he literally, like, with all the force in his hand, just slammed Kenny Omega's face into the top of the announce table and he did it multiple times and it just looked so vicious and I absolutely loved it um and Kenny Omega would get busted open I don't know if it was from that spot or from something else but Will Ospreay would get the blood on his arm and, and then lick his it. Bi- he, it was on his bicep, and he started licking it. And we were like, oh, you sick fuck. And, you sick and, fuck. He, and then he looked at the camera, and he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, after he did that, he would follow that up with multiple strikes to the already busted open base of Kenny Omega, hitting quadra kicks. Um, they would continue to trade shots after... Osprey was toying with Kenny Omega, and it was it was just there. There's so much in this match to talk about. Um, Kenny Omega. So Will Osprey would go outside the ring and see a Canadian flag. Oh yes, and um, I remember he would spot. he would take it and uh, floss his legs with it uh basically do the he was he was being Shawn michaels here yeah he was he was being 97 Shawn michaels here he was flossing his legs putting it in his nose whatever and um so then he he threw it down and i, I did he stomp on it i believe he stomped on it. um 
and Kenny Omega was made aware of this, of course, and um, used it as a uh, assistance to throw Will Ospreay very far across the ring, putting it around his neck. And then he gave it to somebody else. He gave it to the person that it didn't. He gave it to somebody it didn't belong to. It belonged to a different fan. He, <laughs> he, just gave, he, gave, he gave it to a child. Um, oh, yeah, he also tried to hang him with it. He wrapped it around his neck and threw him over the top rope. Um, they, uh, they did a spot where the stairs were... Uh, on the side and they were standing on top of the stairs and Kenny hit a DDT. This point Will Ospreay was bleeding. There was blood all over the stairs. There was blood all over Kenny, blood all over Osprey. Um they're back in the ring and they're again trading V triggers and trading uh uh big moves after big move freaking uh, Osprey, even though he was severely bloody, hit a standing Spanish fly in the ring. Um, there was a uh, a tornado to the outside. Again, Osprey is already busted open and shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> um, at one point, Don Callis is like. Of course, like trying to help Osprey win, and he gets banned from ringside. But he comes back out, and I'm pretty sure he's not supposed to do that. Uh yeah, I don't know how many times people have been banned from ringside and they just come back out like whatever. And I'm like, yeah, and then the ref does. The rule makes no sense. This rule makes no sense anymore. And 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 then the ref like he lock them in a cage, and they so they can't get out. Like he some... came back out, and the ref does nothing. Like, you told him to leave. That doesn't mean that he gets another shot when he comes back. That means he can't come back. Yeah. But they did it this way. I don't know why. Um, But Don Callis' involvement would be kind of pivotal in this in the way this match ended. Yes, so yes of course. So there, there's a lot... There's so much to talk about about this match, but the uh, the finish, basically, well, there was a spot where when Don Callis came back out and the referee noticed, I think, and Don Callis was trying to get the ref's attention, uh, he gives Osprey a screwdriver and uh, hits Kenny in the face with it as Kenny is trying to do the one-winged angel. And then he hits the hidden blade, followed by the stormbreaker, um, which normally would be the finish. Mm-hmm. Um. So so so, so 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 did 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 uh, Callus give Will the screwdriver yet first already? Or I I said that I said. Oh, that. sorry, yeah, sorry, I just missed that. Sorry, yeah. I missed that. Yeah. 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 Uh. So this leads to Kenny Omega. Uh, getting his like toe on the rope after the Stormbreaker. Uh, Osprey then hits a Brain Buster and a One-Wing Angel of his own, which 
is a one count because Kenny Omega. Nobody kicks out of the of the one winged angel when Kenny Omega hits the one. Right. When somebody else hits it on him, it you fires kick, him You up. kick out at one. <laughs> yes. So I saw so, Will's face on that. I was just like, oh my god. At that point, I think emotionally, we were all just in the arena. We're like, oh my god. Yes. Like, we don't know how this is going to end. Like they, so these this, guys have been going at it for like 35 minutes or, or so at this point. probably. So so this is when Omega fires up and you know hits, an, I think, I believe, another V-trigger and they're, all, they're both just down. And trading shots and trading, trying to trade maneuvers again, and this is where the thing happens that everybody is talking about. Uh, Will Osprey hits a Tiger Driver ninety one, which is a move that you don't see very often for obvious reasons. If it's hit correctly, it looks great, but. The way that Kenny Omega took it, it looked like he was dropped directly on his head. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you take this move, you're supposed to land on, like, high on your shoulders. Right. You're not, you're, you're supposed to tuck your head and it's land. It's basically on like a power bomb, right? Yeah, it's like a, a like a, like a tiger bomb, but it, yeah. it's just le- less, uh, you know, less room for you to, to turn over. It's supposed to make it look like you land on your neck. That's why when you when you do the the flipping part and you tuck your head, you land high on your shoulders so you don't hurt yourself. Um, but for obvious reasons, you don't see this move a lot. Or and this is the reason why. For this exact reason. Now, Kenny Omega would say after the match that he was absolutely fine. He knew what he was doing, and it just looked bad. It just looked bad. Um. So after he, after Osprey hit the hit the Tiger Driver, he hit another Hidden Blade, which he followed up with another Stormbreaker, and then he would win the match. Yeah. So this match was an absolute classic. Uh, absolutely, like I can't. I it's hard for me to say right now if it's on par better worse than the first match um as far as i'm concerned these both of these matches are the two best matches of the year and it's not even close um if anything they're tied um i think there's going to be a lot of will osprey matches in my year in my end of year uh best matches uh when we do that again. Um, but yeah. Um, so Osprey is the US champ once again. And uh, we already talked about basically what they're what they're both doing following this. Um, Osprey will be in the G1. Uh, he will be in the uh, B block with uh, Zuchiko Okada, Yoshihashi, Taichi, Kenta, Great Okan, Angaloa, and El Phantasma. So, as mentioned earlier, he will face all of those guys and face, I believe, the winner of A Block. I have to double check which blocks winners are facing who. But uh, and Kenny Omega will, of course, be in that uh, 
Blood and Guts match where we expect that his golden lover partner, Kota Ibushi, will be finally appearing for AEW and being the fifth man for their team. Um, but there is heavy speculation that the third encounter between these two men will happen August 27th at Wembley Stadium. Oh, boy. For All In. And that that will be most likely the main event. Um, If that match happens again at that show, obviously it would make sense because the first match was on neutral ground, essentially, because they were both both New Japan guys. It was Wrestle Kingdom, uh, Tokyo Dome. Second match, Kenny Omega has the home field advantage. Third match, Will Ospreay has the home field advantage. It would ju- it would make sense. It would be the perfect time to do it instead of waiting for the following Wrestle Kingdom because yeah. that was the sp- that was the speculation for a while that they would just wait for the following Wrestle Kingdom and do it again. Yeah, well, but, I have an idea of what the main event for Wrestle Kingdom was. It gonna be eighteen or nine? Eighteen coming up? I believe. Yes, I believe. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll discuss that uh, later in a bit. But uh, yeah, hell, like obviously, match of the night, probably a match of the year candidate at this point. Oh, so, of course. Like, like I mentioned, so, right yeah. now, right now, it and this might not even change, but right now, this match and the first match at Wrestle Kingdom are basically one A and one B. I, 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 I can't pick which is better right now. It's, it's, it's a complete wash at this point for me. Yeah. Um, and so last year when we when we did that, did picked our favorite matches of the year. Um, I only picked one FTR versus Briscoe's match. I'm not going to be able to do that this year. Yeah. With That's with Kenny tough. Omega and, and Will Ospreay. <laughs> So I might I might just have I mean uh, obviously we'll find out if the third match happens at all in but if that's the case I might end up just having all three of these matches in my top 3 which I would not complain about by any stretch of the imagination but we'll find out um in due time because all in is not that far away it's uh Seven weeks, right? Yeah, I think so. So, it's getting closer, yep. and it's going to be the the biggest AEW show of the entire year, the entire existence of the company. Yeah, because they're going to be in a giant stadium with close to eighty thousand. Um, it, it it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. So, uh, yep. Um, we're moving on to the final two matches. So the next match is the uh, trios match between the Suzuki gods of <laughs> Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki versus Sting, Darby Allen, and their partner from New Japan, Tetsuya Naito. So the, the unenviable task. Of being trying to the follow match, that. 
right <laughs> after <laughs> that match. Yeah. Which uh... I think is the reason why they put that in there. I I was surprised that they didn't just do a double main event thing where where they had the US title match. I think what and... they needed was like after 40 minutes of the oh, Kenny of Omega and Osprey, we needed to like chill down. down a little bit before <laughs> the because that's how traditionally it has been done. Um, yes. you know, the entrances were great. Everybody sang very loudly for Judas and Kazanina Ray. First time I sang mm-hmm. Kazanina Ray, so it was a very good uh, fan interactive stuff. Um yeah, Naito's involvement wasn't that surprising considering uh, the build to this was just uh you know, Jericho was challenging Sting and Darby to find somebody to fight uh the Suzuki gods and uh Sting was just like, you know, you uh you know, you uh, built up a lot of receipts over the years, Chris, and uh, there's a lot of people who want to kick your ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they basically revealed on the collision the night before Forbidden Door, the guy, the only person that beat Chris Jericho during his New Japan run for the intercontinental title of uh, the IWGP intercontinental title, Naito. Mm-hmm. And Naito just comes out there, doesn't say anything really. Um, Took his sweet ass time taking that jacket off. Yep. Um, <laughs> wrestled uh, in a wrestled in a t shirt during the entire match too. So yeah, he he does that. The only, the only time he doesn't wear a shirt for matches is usually Wrestle Kingdom. I think at this point. <laughs> right. Um, um, I think the really big spot I remembered was that Suzuki was facing off against Sting, and that mm-hmm. would have been a big deal in itself too but Jericho was just screaming begging begging to be tagged in and we were like yeah we want to see that yeah. too so for the first time in history we saw Sting facing Chris Jericho yep. in the ring um, but then of course Suzuki uh, attacked uh, Sting from behind and then just kicked off a giant brawl with all six of them yeah, uh, let's not forget there was the spot early in the match where Sammy Guevara was, you know, basically posing on the ground. Uh, and Tetsuya Naito uh, recovered and threw him out of the ring and made it seem like he was going to do a dive. And then he just did his uh, tranquilo uh, yeah. on the ground, fist in the air. He, d- he does that spot a lot. Uh, there was also that spot where Sammy... Jericho and Minoru Suzuki did a yeah, pose. They did the La Sex La Suzuki God's pose where just just propping their elbows yes. on each other. And the other thing I noticed also if you if um well I'm pretty sure people picked it up by now, but uh Sting's face paint was slightly different. It wasn't the usual it was Joker esque. It was the Joker esque the way he did it during yes. his TNA run, but not so much. It looked more like the original Crow Sting from the nineties kind of mm-hmm. vibe. Uh, yeah, I think he was going for something more menacing, I, I would use the word, is, is what I would use. Um, there was a uh, spot where uh, Darby and Minoru Suzuki are trading elbow shots. Something that Mizor- Minoru Suzuki does with everybody, I guess, to... Uh, right. Um, as a... as a it's, it's like a sign of respect slash let's see how tough you are. Kind of. um, and when he... <laughs> did that with Darby. Darby went down like right after the third one and Jericho held his jaw like, I'm glad that isn't me. 
Yeah. <laughs> of course, then you hear the um, murder. You hear the murder grandpa chants going forward. Yes. Yeah. Mur- murder grandpa chants. Um. And yeah. Um. So Sting. Sting was not playing around in this match. Uh, there was multiple points where he kind of just didn't sell anything. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, what are um, you doing, kid? Yeah. Um, so there was a spot, and I remember this vividly because I screamed it in the theater, where uh, Sting had the Scorpion Deathlock on, and Sammy... Decided to break it by doing a cutter off of the top rope. <laughs> Sting, Sting is 63 years old. There was no way that he was going to sell that to make it look any better than it did. And it did not look good. Like, and I screamed. I said, you know, a kick would have been fine, Sammy. You didn't have to have to do this. <laughs> I think I'm reading notes here. It's apparently the he 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 hits Sting right on top of his head with his elbow. So uh-huh. yeah, so the so the cutter was he was off by a few inches, I guess. So it's just like yes, it was not. It and was not obviously late. Um, I think subsequently after this encounter, that Sting and Sammy spots are they would do some other crazy spot that was even more crazier than this one that you described, but uh. We'll move on uh, after this. Um... Yes. So Jericho and Sting were fighting outside, and Jericho set up a table. And um, Jericho punched Sting a bunch and put him on the table. And Sammy goes on the top rope and does, uh, I believe, was this a 630 or just a swanton? I uh, feel like it was. Just a splash of some kind. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly what he hit, but first of all, Sting taking that spot. Why? Second of all, he sold it like it didn't even happen. He just got right back up and was like, "Oh, wait, it's time for the finish. Let me get in the ring." <laughs> <laughs> like he, he did not stay down for even a minute. <laughs> it's just, it's I, think, like, what? I think people just told him in the back look you're the stinger do what the hell you want man <laughs> and I I have confirmed it was a 630 okay. so he hit a 630 on a 63 year old man through a table right? and then Sting just got right back up and went back in the ring um so Darby went for a coffin drop on Suzuki and Suzuki countered it into a sleeper hold, but Darby reversed it into a pin for a two count. Uh, Suzuki went for the gotch pile driver on Naito, but it was blocked and Jericho delivered a code breaker to Naito for a two count. Naito then delivered a lariat and a jackknife pin to Suzuki for a surprise victory out of nowhere, which was really weird. Yeah, I was like, Whoa, it's over already. And then I realized, you know, Naito didn't do that much. Yeah. Like he didn't hit he, a signature. He, he didn't hit. He didn't what, do what anything. Called, he didn't do the destino. destino. Yeah. yeah. We were all expecting him to hit his finisher that I saw him do in New Japan. Everybody was so like into. And then yeah. but it's like the he, destino. Everybody yeah. loves the destino. And they love when Kevin Kelly calls the destino. 
Exactly. He didn't didn't even do it. Right. Didn't even attempt it. Uh, right. He just won. He just won with a sneak, uh, small package here. Yeah. So Jack Jackknife pin, right. whatever. And the way that match ended, I think, really set up the uh, subsequent thing that was that happened on the Dynamite afterwards. Because during the the post uh, show press conference, uh, Sting and Darby were just sitting there with Tony Khan, when suddenly an irate Chris Jericho comes in with his bat and just goes crazy, and was just yelling at Sting, saying, "You want more time with Chris Jericho? You're gonna have mm-hmm. the more. You're gonna get more time. I'll give you more time on Dynamite. We're gonna have a Texas Tornado match, and I'm gonna come out as the paymaker. And then he, apparently Jericho is so mad he just starts. Hitting water bottles into with his bat into uh reporters into faces in the sting yeah. into reporters' faces. Um, and at that at, at that point, Darby and Sting were like, "Should we just leave after that?" Like, well, <laughs> like, because like you know yeah. what, uh, we don't want to escalate things any further. We know what yeah. happens at these press conferences. He's like, and and they apologize, like, "Oh, we had any control over this." <laughs> yeah, uh, but then so they had this match. Yeah, they had this Texas tornado match. Uh, uh, and Sting, the crazy freaking this crazy bat- bastard who as fought, I mentioned, yeah. sixty-three. He's probably years sixty-four old. now. Like at least uh, turning sixty-four this year. Yeah. But still um, because just because Sammy did this spot at Forbidden Door. Yeah, he's sixty-four. Yes. Sting decided there were two tables set up out ringside. Um yes. Jericho was going to do a coffin drop. Right. Or something. Something. Sammy was, yeah, Sammy's lying there. And then I guess Sting at that point told him, no, no, Darby, move. Yeah. I'm going to do something. (laughs) So then Sting does a splash. And on, let's remember, on two tables, there were two tables set up. Yes. The The idea was was... you were supposed to go into the middle so the tables can absorb the brunt of the impact. The problem was. Sting was not high enough, and Sammy was on the the closer table, not in the middle. So when Sting dove, he he needed to go around higher so that he could get more air, so that he could hit both tables. But in the end, he did not do that. He hit his mouth on the far table and barely broke the first table. Um... So that was not fun. Uh, but Sting said he was fine uh, after both matches the night before and the week, the couple nights before, and then this. Um, and yeah, uh, so the feud is over, essentially. And uh, Sting is, I assume, going to take a break until All In again. Um Darby Allen is in the tournament, as we mentioned, teaming with Orange Cassidy. Uh, and Jericho, as we mentioned earlier, did that promo where he said he it's time for a change and um, maybe we need to see a different Chris Jericho, a better Chris Jericho. And that brought out Don Callis, as you mentioned, and the whole thing. Um, Sammy Guevara and Dan- Daniel Garcia are teaming in this tournament. And Jericho basically told them that they need to branch out and do things without Chris Jericho. And that this tournament is their chance to 
even though Sammy was already doing things without Chris Jericho, mm-hmm. um, that this tournament is their chance to win something on their own without Jericho's help because they're not always going to have Jericho's help, even though they haven't had Jericho's help for weeks. Sammy is also <laughs> like a three-time <laughs> TNT champion, and last I checked, I don't recall Chris Jericho helping him that much in any of those title wins. So. Yes. So they're teasing they're teasing the end of JAS. Uh maybe it JAS is going to be part of the Callus family. We we have no idea. We'll we'll see where this goes. Um but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to see how Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara are as a team. Um, because I expect that they might go pretty far in this tournament. Maybe yeah. even the finals. Um, because I, I mean, it could also be Darby and Orange, but Orange already has a belt, so he doesn't need the tag belts. So I, I think maybe Daniel Garcia and Guevara could be the the ones to win this tournament. But I guess we'll we'll see from here. Um. So yeah. Uh, on to the main event. Yep, the main event is basically this match that nobody the... thought would ever happen, even just a year or two years ago. But here we are. It is the American Dragon Brian Danielson versus the Rainmaker Kachuchika Okada. Danielson Okada. People have been talking about it for years, but just because of circumstances, they were both in different companies that were never going to interact. It was just like impossible. But now we mm-hmm. came to the situation where it is possible. Uh, I love the build to this. Uh, you know, Okada is the rainmaker. He talks about drowning. Well, Danielson was to show the vignette of him, you know, yes. hiking in the desert and basically saying, you know, he's going to make Okada tap out and then in the desert and there'll be no rain. And Okada said, you know, well, Okada is the rainmaker. She said he would drown Danielson in the desert. But then, and then, mm-hmm. and then Danielson responded by that, was saying that, you know, in the desert, there is no rain. Um, Yes. Let's all for those of you who are longtime Dan, Brian Danielson fans, you will remember during his independent days, he came out to Europe's the final countdown as his theme entrance. Yes, and and as Tony Khan explained it in the post show press conference, the amount of money for them to use the song just one time is probably equal to that, if not more, your standard AEW. Wrestler's contract. <laughs> oh, did he say that? I didn't. I didn't watch the whole. I he, he, I saw I saw like a clip or a, something alluding, or I think I saw a clip where they quoted him, maybe like like paraphrase what he said. He basically said the amount of money that they would have, they would that they used to pay for the final countdown used to be used this one time was about the same as a wrestler's contract, if not more. So can you oh. imagine if they? He had to buy the permanent rights to that song. That would be insane. Well, I thought that there was uh there was some kind of thing. I believe we talked about how the the company that owns that song is like under Time Warner now or something. Oh, okay. So that yeah, I don't actually. Hear. So we might have the, to do an update on that. But as far as I know, this was I actually one time. I'm not sh- the yeah WB. There was something where WB Discovery bought the 
I'd have to look more into that because I don't know the details completely. But um, yeah. regardless, it was very cool to see him come out to that song again. Um, and this match started off exactly how I kind of expected it to. There was a lot of um, chain wrestling because that's kind of how I expected this match to go. They're trying right. to see who the best... Who the best wrestler is, who the best in the world is, because these two are basically right now considered two of the best wrestlers in the world. Danielson has been having the best matches of his career in AEW. I don't think he's ever looked better as far as like when he's had big matches. And Okada is Okada. I mean, Okada always has good matches because he is the face of the face of New Japan. He always delivers, whether you want him to or not. Because uh, Okada's great, and I, I mean, I have gotten sick of him always winning the belt. It's kind of been like a like a John Cena situation, but I think he's great, and I love to watch him wrestle. Um, so. This match was just a lot of a lot of limb targeting, a lot of a lot of back and forth action, a lot of strikes, um, and a lot of Brian Danielson taking advantage of situations, which is what he does best. Whenever Okada would do something, uh, Danielson would kind of have an answer, and it wasn't until like the match started to ramp up that Okada would have. Um, more, more to say, you know, more to answer for Danielson's offense. Um, but there was a great spot where Danielson had uh, Okada down in the ring. He he did the hammer and anvil elbows. Um, followed that up with the cattle mutilation, which is one of my favorite submissions ever. Yeah, um, he never was able to do that in WWE, which I. Didn't really understand why. I think he just wanted to change it up. I don't know if he was like banned from using it. I think he just chose well, the name, not to. Well, the name was a little too he much. Changed, he could have changed the name. Yeah. I mean, they, they made they made AJ change the calf killer to the calf crusher and still let the, the, uh, the good brothers call their move the magic killer. Hmm. So... It, they could. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think it had selective. to do with. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it had to do with the name. I think he just wanted to be different in WWE. But um, I love. Yeah. I love that move. I'm glad he brought it back. After he hit the cattle mutilation, he 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 didn't keep it on. He just did it to wear him down, and then followed it up with a with a slick uh, pinfall attempt. Um, they would end up outside the ring, and uh, Danielson get flipped into the crowd and uh okada would get like a huge running start and just hit a, a cross body over the barricade into the crowd and that i i couldn't believe that that was crazy because i don't think he he doesn't do stuff like that um he's always been more uh collective in like what he does and more um uh had more precision in what he does and um so there was a point where uh danielson had him on the top rope and he was hitting the anvil 
hammer and anvil elbows from the top rope. And um, he followed that up with a missile drop kick. Um, there was a lot of a lot of yeah. Okada hit a tombstone pile driver on the ramp. Yes, when they were outside. Um, but I they, think we should were... yeah. But I think we should mention the spot where I think uh, this is what happened to Brian's arm, which led. Well, to... yeah, I was I was gonna get to that. Okay. I was just uh, there was, um, there was a point in the ring where they were just trading European uppercuts, which looked great. Uh, which turned into um, Okada uh, hitting his first uh, drop kick, which was a shotgun drop kick. Okada has one of the best drop kicks in the game. Um, there was a point, I think, right before the tombstone on the ramp, where Danielson uh, went to do a. Um, uh, sorry, he went to do a tope suicida and uh, Okada reversed it, tried to hit a rainmaker, and that's where uh, Danielson hit up a psycho knee for the first time on the ground. And then they fought a little up the ramp, which is where the tombstone happened. Um, then in the ring, uh, they're they're fighting back and forth again. And um, again, he goes for the Rainmaker, and Danielson hits another Bisakoni in the ring uh, for a near fall. Uh, so at this point, Danielson uh, starts hitting strikes, just big, you know, like th those uh, prone uh, stomps to the head. That he always does where he holds the arms that that always looks vicious no matter when he does it and he's just really good at making it look vicious um danielson kicked out of a rainmaker which surprised a lot of people um at this point uh danielson um Danielson was down, and uh, the spot that you were alluding to. So, um, he, uh, this is where uh, Okada Okada goes to the top rope. Um, after uh, he after Danielson hits some more strikes, a roundhouse kick. Kata hit him a Michinoku driver and a Rainmaker for a two count. And um, he goes to the top rope and goes for a diving elbow drop and hits Danielson directly in the arm. And it would later be uh, revealed that this elbow drop caused uh, Danielson to have a fractured forearm. Uh, and there was still 10 minutes left in the match. And he and he continued. I don't even think he said anything about his arm no, being hurt. No, we didn't just, know. We just saw... No, no nobody knew. They just continued. so smooth to, they, that 
we we didn't know until after the match was but over. Sometimes the the simplest move can just cause yeah. you to uh, get hurt, and it, it, you never you never know when that's going to happen. Um, so Danielson, um, Danielson gets gets out gets up after the elbow drop, and starts hit more strikes and hits another psycho knee. But Okada responded right back with a drop kick. Then Danielson like was trying to go for a little bell lock, but he couldn't like get it completely locked in. So he kind of locked in like an omoplata. Um and uh this is where it uh the surprising ending comes. Uh so yeah, it's it's kind of like an omoplata, so he's going for the bell lock, but he pulls back the opposite arm and then puts his leg over it and then pushes down with his arm over the leg, basically just like pulling his arms back with his legs. And that is where Okada tapped out, which was yeah. very surprising. I almost missed it. I just like... He was he just tied him up in this pretzel, and then suddenly Okada's hands are doing that. Tapping, yeah. I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, he tapped, he's over. <laughs> yes, so a lot of people have said that this match was not as good as it could have been. Yeah, now that is that is that is okay, debatable. it's debatable. Yeah, I still think it was a great match, regardless. Yeah, because this was there was two great guys going at it, hitting back, going back and forth, hitting big moves. Hitting strikes back and forth, having an answer for everything. One at one point, you just you get a simple move that everybody has done before, causing an injury, and they have to figure it out. And it's not to say that that's where the, the match went wrong. And I, I like I said, I don't think it was a bad match at all. And I don't think that we that. It's not the, um, so I, we talked about how, like, we kind of, like, expected Kenny Omega and, and Will Ospreay to have another classic, and you remember when WWE did that thing where Edge and Randy Orton were billed as the greatest match ever? Yeah. And they immediately did not have the greatest match ever. <laughs> they just had an okay match. Right. I think maybe th this is not that on that level, but it was. I it's mean, sort of it in between. A... It's in between, like the the in at the actual greatest match ever versus the not really that greatest match ever. Yeah. So it's not it's not a like an amazing match, but it's a good match and i enjoyed it and it's still even even with the injury and whatever happened in my opinion the second best match of the whole show yeah i mean like let's, let's let me consider putting the fact that he broke his arm there was still 10 minutes in and he still made him made okada tap out that's ten, like, 10 minutes remaining that's, that's commitment yeah because i yeah. was looking i i have to tell you i was looking at the clock i was like this better. I'm pretty sure they're gonna, gonna, gonna cut this off at midnight because I gotta. First of all, I gotta make my train to get back home. So it was just like <laughs> I was like, 
I told my buddy, uh, yeah, this ain't going just before 11. We're going to be here yeah. at least till midnight. But uh, yeah, it was a good ending. Um, didn't you didn't see this on the on the on the pay per view? But uh, afterwards, Danielson he took the mic. He uh, gave a nice promo to the, thank the crowd for coming out. And uh, yeah, you know he 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 actually said uh, he had not heard the final countdown since two thousand and nine. So um, mm. yeah, I saw that video. Yeah, and I was just reading just while we were you we were we were chatting about the match that uh. Just a few years ago, um, when um, the, when they're talking about to Brian Danielson about the final countdown, it was somewhere like it would cost them six. It would cost AEW six figures to play the song just twenty times in one calendar year, and hmm. that they were saying that would be an expense that could not be really met at the time. Yeah, but so they're based probably on, based on what it you, out for... yeah, but based on what you said about how the song is under a library with like. Time Warner, who knows, maybe in the future that will be uh Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about that exactly. Yeah, so but, would, um, like I said, I would have to get the details on that. But as as so yeah. so all around, yeah, hands down, a better show than last year's. Also, um, just wanted to add that um well we don't have any uh post uh forbidden door stuff to talk about on Brian Danielson because uh he's off of an injury yeah. and uh Okada's back in New Japan. Yes. As we the, said before, we, this uh the Will Osprey and Kenny Omega rematch probably wouldn't suit Wrestle Kingdom 18, but I definitely think Danielson Okada 2 would fit Wrestle Kingdom 18. Cuz yeah. that that is definitely a rematch uh cuz Okada now he he's the one who wants uh we well, we speculated that think... yeah, he's the one who's going Need, yeah, uh, need, uh... I think that that will come down to uh, obviously who wins the G one because if Okada wins the G one, then he's facing Sonata, mm. you know, um, or whoever the champion is. I, I assume Sonata will still be the champion by wrestling, but um, I I don't want Okada to win the G one again because he's done that a couple of times already, and he did that last year. I want him to I see I want New Japan to shy away from Okada being in the world title picture for a little while and they seem to do that a lot where I mean because there was a couple of times where he wasn't in the world title match at Wrestle Kingdom but then he just was again I want them to take some considerable time of him out of the title picture and just having good matches um so that would be a good match to have. Um, you never know if like John Moxley's going to work Wrestle Kingdom. You never know if Brian Danielson will go to Japan at some point because he hasn't done that yet. He said he wanted to and he hasn't. So yeah, I would like to see that rematch and that would definitely be the time to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to what happens. Uh, hopefully, Danielson will not miss more than a month or two. Uh, I heard six to eight weeks initially, because it's not broken; it's just fractured. Um, but he's I think, definitely. But I think I saw an X-ray later from uh, yes from his wife Bree that uh, actually was fractured. Yeah, fractured. Oh, sorry. I mean, it was broken. It showed like it was it basically the 
whatever the the forearm was just yeah i saw i saw the same picture like i said i guess we'll just see what happens yeah we'll have to see what happens of course he's definitely going to miss blood and guts he's definitely going to miss probably uh i hope he's not going to miss all in but I, i i guess we'll have to see um and then all out the fo- uh, the following week. So uh and we still haven't been told how we're going to be able to watch all in. Because <laughs> we're that the they're saying it's not gonna be a pay-per-view. Oh, interesting. So um yeah. No, it's um, not gonna be a pay-per-view, it's gonna be a premium live event. <laughs> no, we, we we don't have those here. <laughs> um so yeah, uh, in my opinion, this show was hands down better than last year's. Last year's was riddled with injuries. Uh, no CM Punk, no Brian Danielson. Uh, a lot of changes to the card. This year we we had one, but that was you know we couldn't couldn't really foresee that happening. Um, so in my opinion. This was easily better than last year's, and last year's was the show of the year. So um, it's very possible that could happen again, depending on how all in all in goes. But um, yeah, I, I absolutely love the show. Uh, not a bad match on it, as far as I'm concerned. There was just some that were better than others. Yeah. Um... Absolutely. I mean, this has definitely like become a staple highlight of the wrestling calendar, and uh, yeah, we're, we're we're very glad that we could be able to be here uh, to just talk and discuss about it. Um, so there you go. That's our AEW Forbidden Door uh recap. Um, hope you all enjoyed it. So as we before we sign off, um, Mike, is there anything you wanted to uh, plug or add? Uh, yeah. So. Uh, you can go to our link tree. We have one of those now. Uh, it's a link tree slash going over big time podcast, and it's got all of our all the platforms that you can listen to this show, as well as our social medias. If you aren't following them already, I am at Mike JC eighty one, and uh, that's pretty much it. Uh. Well, we'll see what what's in store for the future of this podcast after 20 episodes. <laughs> uh, you can find me at The Cantastic on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yes, also check out our link tree as well. Uh, next show I'm probably going to try to pay attention or check out is, uh, well, Collision's coming up with CM Punk and some more Joe, but there's also... Uh, July 15th, Saturday, uh, live in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, is Impact Wrestling Slam Aversary. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, good. it's a solid card thus far. I mean, of course, the one match you, you said to me you didn't like, we wouldn't talk about, but uh, you've got Alex Shelley defending the Impact World title against Nick Aldis. Uh, That's going to be fun. Yeah, Chris Sabin defending the X Division title against Leo Rush. That's gonna be great. Yeah, there's gonna be a ultimate. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's an ultimate X match. Um, five, yeah. Mike Bailey, uh, Jonathan Gresham, Kevin Knight, Kushida coming back along with Alan Angels. 
Um, oh, and Trinity, uh, formerly known as Naomi, will take on Deanna Perazzo for the Impact Knockout. I'm looking forward to that match because I want to see how how Trinity does in a big match situation yeah. in outside and, of uh, WWE. Yeah, and. I'll mention it, even though you're not going to really give a crap, Mike, but the uh, tag team match between Bully Ray and Steve Macklin versus, for now, PCO, who once he uh, cools off from his uh, uh, excursion in the flames. Um, and yeah, currently on on a leave, Impact President Scott Damore <laughs> with, yeah. with former Detroit Red Wings... Um, what position did he play? I can't remember. Darren McCarth McCarthy or I don't I don't remember. Anyway, former Probably Detroit Red Winger defenseman Darren what's his face will be the special <laughs> guest enforcer. This is gonna be a shit oh, show. Oh, who cares? That's gonna be a shit show. But I sometimes who I cares? Just, sometimes I just like watching shit shows, and this is probably gonna be if, a shit if show. This, a if this if this results in bully getting pinned and never being seen again, then good. But yeah, I don't care. I think you'll just show up three months later and build something for Bound for Glory. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah and the G one I said is starting on the same day. Yeah, so, great. Uh, great. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to watch as much of that as I can. Uh, because that is a long. Uh, sh- those are long shows with, uh, more than twenty of them. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we're signing off, and have yourselves a good day.